Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. I've taken a little bit of a break for Christmas, but it's good to get back into John's Gospel. Talking of Christmas, if you sang the carol, who, he, uh, Joy to the World, you'll be familiar with that line, He rules the world, truth and grace. But actually the Bible says some interesting things about who is ruling the world. And I think a lot of Christians often are slightly um, confused or in the dark about what actually is going on at the moment. So we're going to explore that by looking at John chapter 12, where Jesus talks about one of uh, the rulers of the world. We're in the context of him preparing them for the imminent uh, passion, the imminent crucifixion and resurrection. He says now is the time for him to be glorified. And we've talked about this in our previous studies. If you go back over the YouTube site, you'll see them. We talked about how uh, he's anxious and troubled. And uh, we get to this verse, John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, the prince of this world will be driven out. So what does that mean? We're going to ask some questions. What does the prince of this world mean? Who is the prince of this world? And what does this mean for us? And why is this judgment for this world? So, what does the prince of the world mean? Well, if you have some other translations of the Bible in, to hand, you'll notice that some of them don't use the word prince. They use the word ruler. And the word can mean either things. But the idea is someone who has power but is not the king. So they have a limited authority. They're not the king, they're the prince. But the prince still has authority in a kingdom, still has power, still has influence, still has elements that they are in control of elements that they have uh, been delegated. And what is the world? Well, the world here clearly is in opposition to the universe. So we're talking here about Earth. We're not talking about the universe. We're not talking about everything. We're talking about our particular planet. And this world is implying at this time. So Jesus is talking about a prince, a ruler of the world, our Earth, at this time. And we know from the way the rest of Scripture talks that Jesus was talking about Satan. In fact, John, who wrote the book of Revelation and who's written this passage for us, uh, tells us uh, these words in Revelation 12. The great dragon was hurled down. That is the ancient serpent called the devil who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So he's talking about Satan who has been come down to earth, which is the similar idea that John talks about, uh, that Jesus is talking about here in John, and that he's leading the world astray. So there is some sense of power that Satan has. So what are the implications for this, for us? Firstly, that Satan is a limited ruler. That's within the permission of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the ruler of the universe. Satan has given, been given limited power here on earth. And what that means is that he causes or controls things in this world that are opposed to God. He rules some things. Some things happen that are his will and not God's will. And John puts it uh, in his letters, uh, puts it more bluntly. He says, we know, this is 1 John 5 and verse 19, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 
If you know me, you'll know that I quite frequently pick people up uh, when they use the phrase, everything is in God's control. That's not what the Bible says. There are things that happen that are under the control of the evil one. They are not what God wants. He is the king of kings who has given and allowed Satan to have some jurisdiction. And within that jurisdiction, things are happening that are not what God wants. So things happen that are caused by Satan and not God's plan, purpose, or intention. They happen because of the freedom of humanity and the freedom of the spiritual powers, the freedom of the universe. And God has permitted that freedom, but there, there are things that happen that are not what he intended, they are not what he purposed, they are not what he planned, and they are not what he is responsible for. And that's really important. But Jesus says that now is the time when Satan will be driven out. He's going to be defeated by the cross and by the resurrection. So what does that mean? How does the, the cross and resurrection of Jesus defeat Satan? Well, the cross drives out Satan because grace defeats accusation. Satan is called the accuser. He's the one who makes people feel guilty. He's the one who draws people away from God by telling them how, wrong, how they've done the wrong things. He tempts. But the cross is the demonstration of the mercy and grace of God that will heal and restore the sinner. And therefore, it takes away the power of Satan to hold people in rebellion against God and to accuse them and to say there is no hope. Satan can't take us away from the love of God. The cross has crushed that concept. And then secondly, the resurrection drives out Satan because Jesus has risen from the dead and demonstrates and proves that he has authority over death. Death is not the end. He has defeated death. And there is an understanding that at the cross, the Satan believes that he has killed Jesus and that he has therefore taken control and authority over death. But in the resurrection, his uh, plans are confounded and dashed and ruined. And so God has power over Satan and has defeated death. So the combination of these two, the cross and the resurrection, defeat the lie of hopelessness, defeat the lie that we have no uh, uh, hope that Satan, uh, through fear and intimidation, can hold us down. But we still see Satan at work in the world today. So we talk about a, a spiritual concept that we often use in theological terms called the already and the not yet. Later in John's gospel, he says, I will not talk much to you for the ruler of this world is coming. That's Satan. It's, it, it, he's talking about Satan coming. And yet in this verse that we're looking at in John 12, he's talking about him being driven out. So how, what is going on at the moment? Is it that Satan has been driven out? Or is he rule in the world? Or is it a combination of both? Well, it is a combination of both. It's what we call the already and the not yet. In other words, de Satan's defeat is assured because of the cross and resurrection. But it is not yet enacted completely until the return of Christ. And so we live in this moment between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Christ when there is a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the kingdom of God and between the powers of this dark age. And there is a victory that's assured 
There is a judgment that will happen. Jesus will return. He will judge. He will end all suffering. He will end all evil. But right now, Satan has a rule, limited rule, over this earth. So let's go back to Revelation and the way that's described. Remember the great dragon, this is Revelation 12:9. The great dragon has thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels down with him. Notice how he deceives. And I heard a loud voice as we carry on in John, in Revelation. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. who accuses them day and night before our God. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their own lives even unto death. So we see that John is telling us there is a battle now. The outcome is assured. Satan will be destroyed. But right now he is deceiving and accusing. But there is a current battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Paul, in his testimony about his conversion on the road to Damascus, is explaining to others. And he says these words, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am he, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise up and stand. This is Acts 26, verse 16. Rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And here's the key bit. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who sanctify by faith in me. Paul is very clear. His job is to release people from the blindness and the darkness that Satan has caused. And he is to, to transform and to enable people to find the light. There is a battle between light and darkness. And unbelievers are blinded from belief. There are comforts and distractions that stop people searching and looking for God and listening to God. There are bitternesses and resentments that cause people to be angry with God and to blame God and to believe that there can't be a loving God with all this suffering. And there is pride and self-determination within humanity that causes us to think we don't need God, we can do all these things on our own. And these are the tools of the evil one. The prince, the ruler of this world, who is seeking to blind people's eyes to Jesus. And not only does Satan blind people's eyes, but he opposes the mission of the disciples. He stands against, he, uh, he, he, he battles with us. Paul says in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's quite clear. There is a battle going on, and some of the things we are standing against are not God's will. They are enacted and caused and prompted by evil. 
And so we know that as a Christian, there is a battle against us, fulfilling the purposes and will of God. So disciples will be opposed in their mission. So what does that look like? Well, I want to suggest four things that when that's happening to us, we may think, well, is this really God or is this perhaps the, the evil one, Satan, trying to distract us, trying to tempt us? The first one is discouragement. When we just feel everything we're doing is of no value, when we feel like giving up, and that's one of the most popular ways in which the evil one seeks to influence us and oppose us. And we need to resist that. And we're going to talk in a few moments about what resisting looks like. But we say to God, Lord, help me. This is not coming from you. This is coming from the evil one. The second one is division. When we find ourselves uh, in conflict with other Christians or people that we love, where we, things are misunderstood, where we're not quite sure why, but there is great hurt being caused, where people are separating. And that's a classic tool of the evil one. And where that's happening within a Christian community, it will be the devil at work. It won't be God's will. And we need to recognize that and pray against that. The third big strategy is that of fear, where we become consumed with what might happen and therefore we stop doing things because we're afraid. We're afraid that, uh, of, of uh, rejection. We're afraid of um, perhaps ridicule. We're afraid of failure, perhaps. Now, cautiousness is wise, and sometimes God gives us a, a legitimate fear because what he, we think we should do is, is dangerous. But sometimes where fear grips and consumes and makes us unable to do that which God wants, we resist that and recognize it to be the hand of the devil. And the last area is distraction, where we simply forget about what God is asking us to do because we're consumed with other issues, with perhaps materialism and wealth creation and job and family and all kinds of other things. And we stop listening to God. We stop meeting with him. We stop talking. We stop hearing. We stop obeying. So these are some of the common strategies of the evil one that make us become uh, conspiring with his purposes rather than God's purposes. So we need to resist the devil. James tells us, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. So the first thing we need to do is to recognize what's going on, to recognize that discouragement or that fear or that division, that that's coming from Satan. It's not God's will. It's really important to identify things and say, that's not what God intended. I'm going to stand against it. I'm not just going to let it happen. I'm going to stand against it. So we recognize, and that's, that's what resisting means, and we come to God. He says, come near to God. We go to God and say, Lord, help me. Can't do this in our own power. Can't do this in our own strength. We need the filling of his spirit. Lord, come within me and give me the strength to resist this. And part of that is confession and repentance and coming in and saying, Lord, come in and cleanse me and forgive me and wash me clean. Because Satan is called the accuser for, for good reason. He makes us feel that we can't be loved. He makes us feel that we've failed so much that we might as well give up. And so confession defeats him because it allows us to experience the mercy and grace of God. Now Jesus in this passage also says that this 
cross moment is the judgment of the world. What does he mean? What he means is, is that the cross is the moment where it becomes clear that the values uh, 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 that other people are, are holding uh, that are against Jesus are opposed to God. It becomes the defining moment. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? The cross is the moment of decision for the world. Do we accept Jesus as our saviour on the cross or do we reject him? So this coming moment when Satan is going to be defeated on the cross is the moment of decision for the world. And rejection of Jesus is the reason for our punishment. Ultimately, we're all sinners. So we are destroyed, not because we're a sinner, but because we refuse the salvation offered on the cross. So the cross is the moment of judgment for the world. Well, now let's pull this all together with some questions for reflection. We've talked about Satan being allowed an element of power, of control, of rule on this earth. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing to ask ourselves is this, is where do we need to recognize that he's at work and not simply say that was God's plan or that God was in control, but actually to to name and identify this was not what God wanted. So where is it that we've attributed something to God that actually was caused by Satan and we need to to stop um, pretending that everything in the world is good and everything in the world is what God wants. Secondly, where do we need to resist the devil? Where in our lives do we need to stand against the temptations to be discouraged, to give up, to be divided and argumentative and sidetracked? Where do we need to stand against the temptation of fear that causes us to not do what is right? And how then can we stand in the victory Jesus has won? How then is God asking us to be confident in the power of the cross to defeat the devil and the power of the resurrection to set us free? Let's pray. Lord, we choose to stand in the cross, stand in your resurrection victory. We ask that you drive out the temptations and the influences of the evil one in our lives and help us to recognize him at work in our culture and our community and to stand against that. We ask this, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might resist the devil. Empower us and equip us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.